So, uh, Philippians chapter 1 and also James chapter 1. I don't think I told you James chapter 1, but Philippians 1 and James chapter 1. Now, over the last seven weeks, we've looked at three verses together. And I'm, I'm happy to report to you that we're moving forward today. Uh, we're, we're getting into verse 12 of chapter 1. And not only are we moving forward, but we're actually going to look at seven verses today. I know that might be a little bit overwhelming for you uh, because we've been moving so slowly. We're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. We're going to look at the next seven verses of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses uh, 12 through uh, 18. And we're going to look at four different groups of people. There's four different groups of people that are described in this passage. And I'm going to ask you, what, where do you see yourself in these four groups of people? And I believe that there is a word from the Lord for, for each person. And I believe that each one of us will fall into one of, if not multiple ones, of these categories here this morning that the Apostle Paul is going to uh, describe for us. And so I'm going to start, I'm going to read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in. So uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul writing, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now we're going to, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at what has happened to Paul. Nevertheless, he says that what has happened has helped to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to the rest of my, and, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, I thank you for each one of these uh, new members, these people who uh, you have drawn to yourself, who you have, have brought in closer. And, and Lord, that you are, are, are you're continuing your work in their life Lord, I pray that for all of us who are members of the church and even who aren't members of the church, that your word would have its effect in our lives, that your spirit would lead us and guide us today. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us right here, right now, in this moment. Lord, I pray against distractions. I pray against uh, things that would take our minds off of you and your word over the next few moments that we would be solely focused on you and what you're speaking to us today. Lord, that we would live for you, that we would bear good fruit in our lives, and that the ultimate end of our lives would be to bring you glory and praise. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the first category, the first person that we see here 
really is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. And, and he says, he starts right at the beginning, he says, I want you to know. I want you to know some things. It's important for Paul that the, that the Philippians that he's writing to, this church that he had planted, this church that had partnered with him and, and supported him financially as a missionary, it's important for Paul that they recognize this truth that he shares with them in this passage. But it's also important for us to recognize this truth as well. We need to know the truth that he's talking about here. So it's not only important for the Philippians, he wants us to know it as well. And, and what is this truth that he wants them to know? He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so that brings up the question, well, well what had happened to Paul? Well, as we have studied the book of Acts last uh, year, as, as we move through that, that, that great book of the Bible, as we saw what happened to the Apostle Paul, we, we see that specifically, probably, he's talking about what started happening in Acts chapter 21, as Paul had raised an offering and taken it to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was suffering. They were going through a famine. Many of them were poor and destitute. And so Paul raised an offering from all of the surrounding churches, and he brought it to the poor people of Jerusalem. A wonderful thing. Amen? But no good deed goes unpunished. And so while Paul is in Jerusalem, he's falsely accused. He's falsely accused of doing something he did not do. They, the Jewish people there who hated Paul accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. A Gentile was not allowed to go into the temple. Only a Jewish person could go into the temple courts. And so they falsely accused Paul of doing this. He didn't do it. Nevertheless, it started a riot and it set off a chain of events that saw Paul in prison for nearly five years. That's what happened to Paul. The Lord put it on his heart to raise an offering and take it to some people who were poor and destitute. When he got there, he was falsely accused. The riot started. He was arrested. An, a conspiracy to take his life was put into place where these men said they would not eat until they had slain Paul, until they had killed Paul. I don't know if they starved or what. I mean, or if they just caved in and finally went to Golden Corral and ate. I, I don't know what they did, but they had made this vow that they would not eat until they killed Paul. Well, they didn't. That was unsuccessful. God thwarted their plans. He was, because of this conspiracy to kill him, he was transported to another town, Caesarea. He was forgotten there for two years, forgotten by the, the different governors that were changing power. And, and Paul's case sort of fell on, on just kind of, he fell be, beneath the cracks. He, he sat in jail in Caesarea for two years. Finally, he was put on trial and he was going to be handed over again to the people who wanted to kill him. And so he appealed to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman. Paul was not afraid to use his God-given rights. So he said, I appeal to Caesar, which was his rights as, right as a Roman citizen. And 
A little side note, we, we also have been given God-given rights in the United States of America. We should use them. Amen? We should, should stand up for them. And the, we see that. The Apostle Paul had no problem appealing to Caesar, using his God-given Roman rights as a Roman citizen. And we, even right now, are exercising our God-given rights to assemble and to come together. And we take it precious. I believe that we do. We, we value that right to... To, to gather this right to free speech that we have. It's, it's a precious thing that we, we should care for and speak up for. Anyway, now off the, back off the rabbit trail. So he's transported to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. On his way, he's shipwrecked. This was Paul's third shipwreck, by the way. When he swims ashore as he's gathering some wood to throw it into a fire to keep warm, because he was shipwrecked in the winter... A snake comes out and bites him, a poisonous snake. All of the island natives think he's going to drop down dead because they recognize it. Paul shakes it into the fire. It doesn't harm him, doesn't, doesn't have any effect on him. Finally, he arrives in Rome and he's under house arrest. The, the book of Acts, chapter 28, it ends with Paul in Rome. And the, Luke there tells us that he was in prison there for two years. So Paul is... Imprisoned, he's almost assassinated, he's forgotten, he's shipwrecked, he's snake bitten, he's house arrest in Rome, and nearly five years he was imprisoned of his life. And Paul sits down and he says, Brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has advanced the gospel. What is his attitude about all of this? Is he right, the Philippians, and says, let me tell you about all of my troubles. Let me tell you about all of my woes. Let me tell you about all of the injustice that's been done to me. Let me tell you about how I've been falsely accused. Let me tell you about how he, he doesn't do any of that. He just simply says, what has happened to me? And then his conclusion is, I rejoice. Yes, I will say it again. I will rejoice. His attitude is not sour. His attitude is not um, angry. He's not mad at God. He's not mad at the world. Instead, he is rejoicing. And so why? Why doesn't Paul lose heart? Put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. Put you, the person who loses their joy at the drop of a hat, who loses their joy over this issue, over that issue, over this news story, over that news story, over this Facebook post, over what this person is doing. Put you, who loses their joy, over things much more trivial than what the Apostle Paul has suffered, put yourself in his shoes, and how would you be responding? It's a tough question, isn't it? Nevertheless, it's the question that we are confronted with today. Why doesn't he lose heart? Why doesn't he give up? Why doesn't he throw in the towel? How does he not lose his joy in the face of everything that he has suffered? What is it that, that keeps him so full of joy? He says it right there. He says, because even in the midst of all of this, the gospel is still advancing. 
You see, Paul didn't lose his joy because his joy was not in his circumstance. Paul didn't put his joy in his, his external circumstances, in the things that were happening in his life. The reason why we so quickly lose our joy is because we get our joy not from the Lord, but from the circumstances of life. And when those circumstances don't go the way we want them to go, when you burn the turkey, right, or when it's a little bit too dry, you, you know, thank God for gravy, right? <laughs> Thanksgiving is ruined. Who cooked this turkey, right? When we place our joy, when we derive our joy from the external circumstances, listen, those change all the time. And if, and if that is our source of joy, guess what? You're going to go through life joyless. Joyless. Even billionaires cannot get joy from their external circumstances. That's why they have to fly out of, to outer space, right? There's not enough down here to thrill them. There's not enough down here. They have everything that money can buy on planet Earth, and they say, that's not enough. I got to go to outer space with William Shackner. Maybe that'll get me some joy. If I can fly to the outer reaches of space with Captain Kirk, then, then I will have joy. And guess what? They get back down to earth and it's all the same. Because they're trying to get joy from the circumstances, from the things of this life, from temporary things that are fleeting, that are passing away. The Bible tells us this world is passing away. Yet, yet you can, we can, they can be full of joy, unspeakable, the Bible says, overflowing with joy, not when everything is perfect, but when everything has gone wrong, we can be full of joy. How? It's when we place our joy, when we get our joy from the Lord, from Him, from His work, from His kingdom. Amen. And that starts with us prizing Christ, making Christ the crown jewel of our lives, knowing Him, serving Him, loving Him, being in His presence, being His child. When we make that the crown jewel, when we make that the highest aim, then everything that has to do with Christ and his kingdom is what gives us joy and satisfaction and hope and peace. That's what Paul had done. That's what Paul had done. That's the way that he lived his life. And he saw that the gospel was still advancing that the work of Christ was still moving forward, that God's mission was still being accomplished. And so Paul could say, yeah, I've got all these things going on, but let me tell you about what's God, what God's doing in the midst of it. 
Yeah, I've got all this stuff going on. Yeah, I've been shipwrecked. Yeah, I've been in prison for five years. It doesn't really matter because God is still working because God is still moving because Jesus is still on the throne. And in that, Paul says, I rejoice. Amen. This is the attitude that we need in our lives. You know, there's this saying that when someone comes to Christ that they are finally getting serious. Have you ever heard that? They're getting serious about God. They've finally gotten serious. They're taking the Lord seriously. And, and there's some truth to that. That's fine. But it's not that when you come to Christ, you know, you just have to put on this solemn and serious look. What if, what if it was known in the culture that when you come to Christ, hey, they got joyful. They, they finally got filled with joy. What, what, what if, shouldn't that be our testimony? That, that everywhere we go, whatever circumstance we're in, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here today, and I have to acknowledge that because I know Heather's sitting there on the front row saying, you lost your joy last week over something very trivial. And so I'm, I'm, I want you to know I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you, to you today. I'm, I'm so convicted about this. I'm so convicted about this because we lose our joy over the most insignificant, trivial matters. What if the world saw a church that in spite of anything, whatever came our way, we were so full of joy unspeakable. What a testimony that would be to the resurrected Christ, to the power of Christ. You know, that's how, I don't have time to go into it, that's how, though, Christ conquered in, in, in 300 A.D. They tried to do everything they could to snuff out the church, to kill Christians. They were, Christians were living in catacombs. All of their rights stripped from them. They were being uh, executed in public displays in the Colosseum. It was Christians that, that, that was being fed to the lions. It was Christians who were getting dismembered by gladiators for the entertainment of the mob. Yet they didn't lose their profession of faith. Wow. Wow. That, that's why the elders and the deacons were, were looking at what's happening in our world. And what we're saying is, how do we get our people ready so that if those kinds of days come, that our people, that Destiny Church will stand up and will hold fast to their profession of faith and will do it with joy. That's what we're talking about. And so, again, the, the way you get there is not less word, it's more word. The way you get there is not less prayer, it's more prayer. But the way you get there is not less gathering, it's more gathering. So that's, that's why we're doing this. But that's how, that's how Christianity conquered the, the Roman Empire. It's because they couldn't snuff it out. They, they, they just couldn't kill. They, they could kill these people, but they couldn't take what Christ had done on the inside away from them. You see, the world can strip everything from you except for what Christ has done for you. We've, we discovered that last year with the shutdowns and the mandates. That they can, from on high, issue these edicts, but they can't take away my faith in Christ. Amen. Amen. 
And it's that kind of faith that advances the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying, that, that even though I have suffered, even though my circumstances are not ideal, he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. It doesn't mean that God has stopped working. We sang that song this morning, even when I don't see it, you're working, right? We sang it this morning. This is what it's talking about, that the work of God doesn't stop just because my circumstances aren't ideal. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 2.9. He says, I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul says, even though I may be bound, even though I may be in chains, listen, the word of God is still going forward. I'm still preaching the word. I'm still sharing the word. I'm still evangelizing. And guess what? They cannot bind. They cannot bind the word of God. They cannot bind the gospel. They can make it illegal. They can outlaw it. They can do anything that they want to try to get rid of it. They can edit out the parts they don't like. They can persecute people for speaking the truth, but the word is not bound. They can throw me in prison. They can throw you in prison, but they cannot bind the moving of the Holy Spirit. They cannot stop the kingdom of God from advancing. And Paul had kingdom priorities. Paul's main goal, main aim in his life was that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be glorified. He wasn't living his life for himself. He was living his life for Christ. And so even though he was in jail, as he saw Christ continuing to move, he says, in that, I rejoice. He doesn't say, I rejoice in my chains. He doesn't say, I rejoice in the food they're serving me. But I, had, I rejoice in the advancement of the kingdom of God. He had a proper perspective. He had a proper perspective. The Lord needs to give us a kingdom perspective, a kingdom of God perspective. It's a higher perspective. It's a higher, we, we all live life. We all have the families we're a part of. We all have the jobs that we go to. We all have the grocery stores that we visit. We, we all live life in the life that God has living us, boots on the ground, dealing with right, what is right in front of us. But there is a higher perspective to, to look at life through, and that's the kingdom of God. It's like when you go on an airplane and, and you take off and you start cruising at 30,000, 35,000 feet and, and you look out the window and you have a new perspective. It's not that the situation and circumstance on the ground has changed. It hasn't changed at all, but you see it a different way. You see the events and the circumstances on the ground. You see it a different way from a higher perspective. And that's what Paul had allowed himself to have was a higher perspective not a perspective about just him and just his life and about his problems and about his issues and about how this chain is hurting my wrist. No, he had a higher perspective. He had a bigger picture. He had a wider view. So he could zoom out and say, yes, all of that is true. I'm not denying any of it, but there's something more going on here than just my temporary circumstances. The eternal God is moving. The kingdom of God is going forward. And because of that, though they could put him in jail, they could not take away his joy. That's powerful. Paul had made pleasing Christ the singular focus of his life. 
Now think about all of the things that we allow to creep in and to take away our attention from pleasing Christ. All of the the different trivial matters. Many of them are not sinful. They're not sinful. They take our eyes. They take our attention. They take our focus off of Christ. That wasn't Paul. He didn't have all of those distractions. This is what he says in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus He says, I don't even count my own life precious to me. All that I care about, all of my focus, it's on accomplishing what the Lord has given me to do. Philippians later in this book, in chapter 3, verse 12, we'll get there in 2025 or some point. But in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Paul says that Christ arrested me. Christ laid hold of me. On that Damascus road, I was going to persecute the church. I had my own plans. I had my own agenda. I had my own business that I was about. But Christ laid hold of me. Christ arrested me for a purpose, he says. And he says, until I have fulfilled that purpose, until I have laid hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me, I will not stop. I will not slow down. That is my singular aim. That is my singular focus. And I press on through every obstacle, through every challenge, through everything that would try and get in in my way, he says. And guess what? Christ has also arrested you. He's also laid hold of you. For you to lay hold of some things, for you to accomplish some things, for for a kingdom purpose to be done in and through your life. And it is in this that Paul rejoiced, that God is always working, that the gospel is always advancing. Now, it's not only Paul who suffered for Christ. We read about in the New Testament how The apostles, the Lord Jesus, they all tell believers that, that guess what? If we live for Christ, if we take bold stands for the Lord Jesus, guess what? We too will suffer in this life. To the Thessalonians, he says, I don't want you to be shaken by your afflictions, for you know that we are destined for this. Some people ask, well, what does destiny church mean? They say it means you're you're destined for afflictions. That's what it means. No, I don't tell them that. <laughs> means you're destined to suffer for Christ. Come and join us on Sunday morning. We'll have a great time together. But this is what he says. This is the, actually the word that the Apostle Paul used. He says, don't be shaken by your afflictions. Don't be shaken by your trouble. Don't be shaken by the fact that you're suffering for Christ. Don't let that shake your faith. We're destined for this. Wow. What a destiny we have, Paul. Amazing. John 16, Jesus, 
I said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world, we will have tribulation. Guess where we are right now? In the world. And so guess what we're going to have right now? Tribulation. Nevertheless, the Lord Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And so that gives us peace. Well, what does that mean? It means that the trials, the temptations, the things that the enemy brings to try to stop the work of God, to derail the plan of God for your life, because Jesus is, has overcome the world, that none of those things are going to be effective in your life. That they're not going to stop the advancement of the gospel and the plan of God in your life, just as it had not stopped the plan of God in Paul's life. In James chapter 1, the Apostle James, the brother of our Lord, he puts it this way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Talking about joy. Who wants to have the joy of the Lord? I do. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, testing, trials, temptations, for you know, again, you know, and Paul says, I want you to know, brothers. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness or endurance. That when we are tested, it does something in us. It produces something in our character. It gives us more strength. It gives us more resolve. It helps us to persevere. It helps us to not be so flabby in our faith. But to make us tough for the Lord. To make us bold for Christ. That the testing of your faith produces patience, steadfastness, endurance. And then he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, God is not punishing you, dear Christian, who might be going through a trial. He's perfecting you. He's putting the character of Christ in you. And he's allowing you to go through the trial. He's allowing you to go through the fire. But the Bible says that even as we pass through the flames, we will, hear, we will feel the heat, but we will not be burned. We, we will feel the heat, but it will not overcome us. It will not overtake us. We are going to pass through the fire. The fire of affliction. The fire of persecution. The fire of suffering in this life. We as God's people will pass through the fire. But it's not to destroy us. It's to perfect us. It's not God's punishment. It's God's working His character into you. And so because of that... We can count it all joy. We could say, thank God that I'm one of his kids and that he's working in my life. But it's an issue of values. It's an issue of values. Do we value the kingdom of God above the kingdom of the United States of America? Do we value the kingdom of God over the kingdom that we are creating for ourselves? The kingdom of Matt Bell, the kingdom of, of you put your name in there. Do, do we value God's kingdom advancing or do we value our little kingdom more than the kingdom of God? It's an issue of values. And when we 
get so upset, when we lose our joy over little things, it shows us, it shows us that where our values lie. It shows us in that moment what we are valuing the most. And it shows us oftentimes that it is not Christ and it is not his kingdom. Because even in the midst of trials, if we can see that God is working, if we can see that God is moving, and he is, by the way, God never stops working. He never stops moving. His kingdom is always advancing. Every trial, every issue, every circumstance that you face, guess what? God can work in that. God wants to work in that. The kingdom can advance through every trial and every circumstance. And if we value the kingdom of God advancing, if we value the work of God, we too will have joy in the midst of hardship and trial. Renowned Bible teacher Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, the same God who, uses, who used Moses' staff, Gideon's pitchers, David's sling, used Paul's chains. In the midst of the trial, when we go through trials, in the midst of hardship, don't lose sight of the fact that God is working, that God is moving. Don't, don't let the, the external circumstances get on the inside of you. Don't let what's on the outside take root inside of you and steal your joy. There's no joy in the news today. I don't care what news station you watch. There's no joy. They're not, they're not pushing joy. They're pushing anger. They're pushing rage. They're pushing division. They're pushing hatred. Every single one of them. They're, they're pushing things that are not the kingdom of God. And so if you spend your days consumed with what's happening in the news, guess what? You're not going to be full of joy. You're not going to be full of the joy of the Lord. You're going to be full of animosity and rage. And, and God bless you if you watch all the news stations because you'll be so mad at everybody. You'll be multiple personality disorder. You're bipolar. Listen, we need to be tuned in to the good news. We, we need to be tuned into, yeah, yeah, things, things are crazy, but where's the kingdom of God advancing? Yeah, things are, are nuts, but, but is the kingdom of God moving forward? That, and in that, we should take joy. Listen, this morning, we had like 20-something people that are new to the church in the last few months. They're saying, God is working my life and we want to get planted. We want to become a part of, we want God's kingdom to advance. In that, we should take joy. Amen? And, and yeah, we can give the Lord a hand clap for that. But if, you know, I, if you sit down and talk to, to most of them as, and, and each one of them, what you will find is that, guess what? It, 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 
most of them, it wasn't just great circumstances that led them to, to look for a church. It was kind of the, the chaos of last year and things not going well. But the kingdom is advancing. The gospel is moving forward. And if we have our values right, in that we will rejoice. In the midst of the trial, I've gone through trials. I've gone through tests. I've gone through seasons of darkness. I've gone through the valley. And I know that there are many of you who are facing valleys like that right now. Many of you, with, with even in your job and, and, and all of the, the things that are happening, I know that there are those of you who are, are facing a, a trial, you're facing a valley. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and his kingdom. Listen, Paul, Paul says that, that my, they all know that my imprisonment is for Christ. They know why I'm suffering. It's, it's because of Christ. We have to keep a kingdom perspective. You know, this reminds me so much of, of Brother and Sister Beatles. Um, every single time I ever talk to them, you know, they've, they've, Brother Beatles, he went home to be with the Lord uh, last month, uh, Sister Ines. You know, they've gone through health challenge after health challenge after health challenge after health challenge. Sister Ines has had cancer for almost 10 years, her second bout of cancer. They, they gave her months to live, and here she is 10 years later, right? But she has to go to the doctor all the time. Her, her life is dominated by all of this stuff. But every single time I ever talked to her or Brother Beatles, and guess where they had come from that day? They come from the hospital or the doctor or whatever. You know what they would talk about? Not their circumstance. They would say, let me tell you who we got to share the gospel with today. Let, let me tell you about how we got to witness to this nurse. Let me tell you about how I've been praying with my oncologist for 20 years. And how this week he asked me to pray for him. And let, let me tell you about how the gospel is bearing fruit. Yeah, the circumstances isn't great. But let me tell you about this nurse, and let me tell you about that nurse, and let me tell you about the person we bumped into in the cafeteria, and how we ministered the gospel here, and the gospel of there. And in that, they rejoice. And, and that's just a, a living example for us of this kind of joy. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's suffering. Guess what? We live in the world. It is a broken world. But we're not living for this world. Our home is not here. Our home is in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom purpose for each of us to accomplish. God chose you. He called you. He's redeeming you. He's filling you with his spirit. Not so that you can watch every season of every episode on Netflix. But to advance his kingdom purpose. And in that, you will find the deepest joy. The deepest joy. When you make God's priorities your priorities. To keep a kingdom perspective, which we all need, we must have minds that are saturated with the word and not the world. 
To keep a kingdom perspective, you have to have a mind that is saturated with the Word of God and not the world. Not the things of the world, not the things of this life. Listen, I know we all live and work and got things we got to do. I understand that. Paul did too. He made tents, but he never lost sight of his purpose. Yeah, he made tents. Yeah, he had to do things to pay the bills, which we got to do. But he understood he had been called by God. And so even in his tent making, even in his labors, he still advanced the kingdom of God. Last week, I talked about the fact that there, there should be no such thing as an undercover Christian. Everybody in your life should know that Jesus is your Lord. Everyone should know that. It should be the first thing they know about you. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also do this. I also do that. Right now, that's the assignment the Lord has for me. But I'm one of his kids. Amen? Repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. No, I mean, that's a, it's a little bit intense, I understand. But it shouldn't be a surprise to people when they find out that you're a Christian. Amen? Paul says the whole imperial guard knows that I'm here for Christ. How did they know that? Because he had a captive audience 24-7. was chained to an imperial guard. 24-7. They, they went out in eight-hour shifts, so he, he got to go through three imperial guards a day. I imagine that each one left weeping, having given their life to Christ, and here comes the next one in. He's like, all right, I got a captive audience. You're mine for the next eight hours. What do you think he talked about, the weather? Well, this is strange weather for this time of, in, in Rome, you know. You think he talked about the gladiators in the Colosseum? No, he talked about Christ. He talked about Jesus. Guess what? You and I, we have captive audiences all the time. We need to be about advancing the kingdom of God. You say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know the words to say. I, I don't this, I don't that. Listen, that's why God's put the Holy Spirit in you. Ask the Lord. Lord, give me the words. Listen, if you feel the impetus uh, to, to share the gospel, to, to ask someone if they need prayer. You know where that's not coming from? It's not coming from the devil. The devil's not putting that in your mind. It's not coming from you, your flesh. Hello? It's not coming from you. You're selfish, right? You care about you in your flesh. If you're feeling the desire to share the gospel, to pray with someone, to show the love of Jesus, to do something in the name of Christ, you know where that's coming from? It's coming from the Lord. And if he's putting that in your heart, don't you think he's going to give you the words to say? Don't you think he's going to help you in that moment as you trust in him and not in yourself? I don't have the words to say. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop leaning in your own ability. Trust in the Lord who will supply the words to speak. And it's not about you anyway. You think you're good enough to convert someone? No. We're nothing but clay jars, earthen vessels filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But as we let the Holy Spirit out, He can move. Amen. Well, I got through one category of person. See, this is why we need a Sunday evening service. Because we would just pick this up tonight if we were having church tonight at 6 o'clock. And I'm tempted to just call an audible and have church tonight at 6 o'clock, but it is my anniversary and me and my wife have plans. So 
We'll save it for 2022. And we'll save the rest of the sermon for next week. Listen, we all go through tests and trials in this life. Not a single one of us is exempt. Real hardship. And I understand. I understand. I understand that there are those who are really suffering, who are really facing some difficult decisions right now. But let it, let it be known, if you're going to suffer for Christ, people ought to know that you're suffering for Christ, suffering for his sake. Paul said, they all know why I'm here. They all know that I'm imprisoned for Christ. Listen, if they're going to make us suffer, they ought to, we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to go quietly. We're, we're going to be bold in our profession of faith. We're going to be bold in, in who is Lord, that it is Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, that it's not the state, it's not the government that is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who is Lord. Jesus is the one who is King of Kings. Jesus is the one who lived, died, and rose again. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is the confession, our profession. And if we make that our hope, we will have joy. We will have joy. You will have joy. Again, if you find yourself without joy, it's an issue of priorities. It's an issue of priorities. Because God is moving. His kingdom is advancing. We, we live in a world, we live in a kingdom that is on the decline by every metric. A kingdom that is on the decline. And I don't know if there's someone, some savior coming who's going to make it better. I don't know. But I do know about the savior. I do know about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I do know that I am a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we got to get our eyes on that unshakable kingdom that is not on the decline, by the way, that is advancing, that is marching forward, that is moving forward. And you and I, we need to get on that bandwagon. That's the bandwagon we need to be on, advancing the kingdom of God. When we do that, we will be full of so much joy. It won't matter who burns the turkey on Thanksgiving. Amen?